What is up, good people of Houston and Houston Texans fans everywhere? Welcome into a Friday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris, and I'm doing everything possible to get through the next two hours with completely losing my mind. Now, not a bad, not in a bad way, but because of the opponent on Sunday, the Indianapolis Colts. At Lucas Oil Stadium, cannot wait. As Bart Scott said, can't wait. Cannot wait. These games, and it's funny, I wrote about this a little bit uh, earlier today. These games against the Colts, I, I look forward to them because of the rivalry that it is. But it's equal parts stressful, exciting, dreadful exhilarating. I mean, it's everything. It's like the hype. For me, I I love it. I love these games with the Colts. And then I hate them and I love them. It's like this love-hate relationship because the stress that's involved. Since 2014, there's only been one game where the margin of victory has been more than seven points. And it was nine points in 2017. The only reason it was nine was because the Colts ended up getting a safety after the makeshift Texans line that day gave up a gave up a safety to make it 22 to 13. Should have been 20 to 13. That would have kind of, I guess, solved my question and answer. That seven points is the largest margin of victory. There's not been a double digit margin of victory since 2014. Think about that. Since 2014, with all the different changes and all the different quarterbacks and all the different injuries and things that have gone on between these two organizations. The Texans and Colts have played every single regular season game within nine points. And most of them, well, all of them minus one in the regular season, seven points. That's crazy to think about. Which makes last year's playoff game weird. Because 14 points, 21-7, you think, I mean, the game was 21 nothing for a long time. The Texans got a touchdown and were driving to maybe get another one in the end zone. Couldn't get it in on a fourth down play. And I don't know that 14 points was really indicative of how it felt because it felt like the Colts had really kind of taken over that game. But that's why that game was such a weird anomaly because they had played such close games and play such close games. I mean, every game at Lucas Oil. I mean, last year was three points in 2017. That was a weird one because people were injured on either side. 2016, I think it was six points. 2015, I think it was, I think it was six points. Games at home have been three points, three points. I mean, last year's two games. Up there, we win in overtime by three. They come here, they win by three. But the last time they played, that's one that left a mark. It left a scar, and probably a few of them to be honest. Because your Texans took one on the chin, 21-7. to There was nothing about that game, about that day, that you could really feel good about if you're a Texans fan. Get home field advantage. T.Y. Hilton's wearing a clown mask. You're about to just hand it to them, and they turn it around and just give it to you. When they scored three touchdowns early in the game, take a 21-0 lead, got to try and fight back, and they did a little bit, but they just never got any sort of rhythm. It was the first time that Deshaun Watson had lost a game by more than a score, dating back to high school. It's phenomenal. 
But the Texans did things in the offseason to make sure that that didn't happen. But now they get to take their renovated vehicle out for a test drive in the home of the Indy 500 and see what it looks like against the Indianapolis Colts. So we've got a lot to get to tonight. We've got our Deep Slant interview of the week, the one-on-one brought to you by Xfinity. With DP Sidhu, this week it is Bernardrick McKinney. I'll give you my first community credit union, first glance keys to the game, and also all of my predictions straight up and against the spread for all NFL games this weekend. Mark's going to stop by. We'll talk about this. I know this one always kind of triggers Mark. He kind of has the same feeling. There's such excitement, yet apprehension. All those kind of emotions, kind of conflicting emotions kind of coming at you. So we'll talk to Mark about that. And then in our player segment, we've got a little bit of B-Scar TV. We've got my football story, Peter Kalmbaye. And we've got the final word with Drew Doherty. And this week, it is Darren Fells. So, plenty going on tonight. So let's kick it off with Hot Reads. They're brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. And each and every Friday, we kick off the same way with a little bit of discussion with the head coach, Bill O'Brien. Mark caught up with him earlier today. Coach, i got to imagine you've talked to the team a lot about the magnitude of this being a divisional game, the Texans and the Colts, all the history involved in the matchup. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a, uh, it's a division game on a road versus a really good team that you know we have a lot of history with. Um, you know, and I think that they're, they're two evenly matched teams. I mean, I think this is kind of – one of those NFL games where, you know, it's going to come down to the team that commits uh, the least amount of mistakes. You know, I think that if we can control the ball and and not turn it over and um, and not commit penalties, I think we'll have a shot. And, uh, you know, they're, they're a well-coached team. It's going to be a good game. I know every week is different, but you always say you want to get better every week. So where are you looking to improve? You just mentioned some of those things, I would imagine. Yeah, we have to take care of the ball. I mean, I think we were a little bit – look, we played – we did a great job against Kansas City coming back and all that, but we the ball was out probably five times. You know, we've got to take care of the ball. I think that's a big thing. And, and, uh, and then I think the penalties – you know, we had ten penalties, I think, against Kansas City. We've got to cut that in half. You know, penalties are going to happen the way the, the game's being officiated these days. I'm not saying you're going to come out of a game with zero penalties. The zero penalties on special teams, which we had in the last game, was really big because that affects your drive start. So that's important to keep that going. But overall, we got to cut down on penalties. The Colts, what did they do well defensively that you have to keep your eye on? They're just very well coached, very disciplined, very fast, uh, athletic. And, and uh, Matt Eberflus does a really good job. He's a very, very good, sound football coach. It's not like they do a whole lot. They just what they do, they do it very well. And uh, you, you've got to, you've got to be able to, you know, basically string plays together they're not gonna you're not gonna really let you throw it over their head you you know you're gonna have to string 12 play 13 play drives together in order to put points on the board how much does it help that you watch them play the chiefs on tape and you just played the chiefs so you have that sort of measuring stick you know i think about that i think i think it helps to 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 understand their personnel how they're using their personnel but i think in the end i I would i would anticipate they play us a little bit different than they played kansas city but uh, we'll have to see how it goes what about on offense we all know they want to run the ball the colts but they do have other weapons that can hurt you through the air. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, they've got, uh, as we all know, T.Y. Hilton. They've got Ebron. They've got Chester Rogers, uh, Pascal. I mean, all these guys, if they play, you know, Paris Campbell's been out with injury. We'll see if he plays or not. But, they, you know, they've uh, Jack Doyle, the tight end, good offensive line, good backs. Obviously, you just mentioned Mack and Hines. So they, they've got a lot of weapons. Jacoby Brissett, you've faced him before. What about his element in this game? Really smart guy. Uh, doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He can run. He's a deceptively good runner. Um, I think he 
you got to do a good job of keeping him in the pocket, and, you, and you've got to do a good job of disguise. And he's a very smart guy. He was trained in New England. They're doing a great job with him in, in Indianapolis. So he understands how to play the game, and uh, we, we, we've got to do a great job against him. Coach, thanks for joining us. Good luck. Thank you, Vanny. Let's get to our next hot read, and that is going to be the injury report, which on Friday is hugely important. Why? Because you know who's in, who's out, who's questionable, who's doubtful. Now, out for your Texans, two offensive linemen, Titus Howard, Greg Mance. I think we saw both of them, saw both of those coming. Questionable to Sean Gibson with the hip and the wrist he's been dealing with. Jonathan Joseph questionable, Bradley Roby questionable. Three starters. My gut tells me that T-Gip will play. And I've thought this for the last probably week or so. I, I Watching Jonathan Joseph at practice this week, I sort of felt like J. Joe will give it a go on Sunday. Robe, I, I don't know that Robe's going to be ready to go. But those three are questionable. In for your Texans, and this is good news, Kenny Stills. He was a full participant in practice all week long. He is good to go. And Zach Cunningham left the game with a knee Came back in the game and played. He's also ready to go. So for you Texans, two out. Titus Howard, Greg Mance, questionable. Deshaun, Jonathan Joseph, Bradley Roby. My gut tells me that two of the three will probably play. Now, on the Colts side, it's where it gets a little bit dicier. But three players are out for the Colts. Tyquan Lewis, defensive lineman. It's a loss, obviously. But I don't know if that's a, a massive loss for the Colts. They've, they've got other guys that can step into that role and, and do what Taekwon does. Kenny Moore is a massive loss. Kenny Moore, if you remember, had an interception in a playoff game. He's had all kinds of sacks, blitzing from the nickel position. Kenny Moore was a essentially a trash heap find for the Colts. Now, he's not trash, but he was discarded by the Patriots, and the Colts said, we'll take him. And he's been a he's been a huge piece of the defense for the Colts. He is out. Paris Campbell, wide receiver rookie, couldn't get himself ready to go. I think he missed the Chiefs game as well. Paris Campbell is out. In addition, safety Malik Hooker is doubtful. Now you don't see doubtful often. I'm trying to remember. Who was doubtful against the Texans at one point? And I can't off the top of my head remember who it was. But I have not seen a doubtful get on the field. Malik Hooker, starting safety, has been out, I think, since week three. I think week three, maybe week four. It looks like, and he did practice this week a little bit, but it doesn't appear as if he's going to be ready to play. So he's doubtful. Pierre Desir, starting corner, a guy that, Colt fans like to say is the DeAndre Hopkins killer, which I don't think there is such a thing. This year gets a lot of help covering him. And when Hop is 100%, you can forget that noise. But this year is also questionable. He's going to be a game-time decision. So in that secondary, you've got a lot of moving parts. Now, Clayton Gathers does appear to be coming back. He had a concussion. He was out for a few weeks. So was Darius Leonard. They will all be back. Leonard, or all, both of them. Leonard and Gathers will be ready to go. But starting safety hooker, doubtful. Starting nickel and huge impact player, Kenny Moore, 
out. Pierre Desir, questionable game time decision. So that secondary is going to have a lot of moving pieces on it. And there's no Paris Campbell. So offensively for the Colts, pretty clean for the most part. But defensively, they've got some key pieces missing the secondary. Now, that doesn't matter if you can't block the front. And the front is all seemingly ready to go. Plus, Darius Leonard is back. So, some good news, some bad news as it pertains to injury report. Either way, it ain't going to be easy on Sunday. But the Colts secondary is probably about as banged up as it could be with no hooker, presumably. Maybe not this year. Definitely not Kenny Moore. That could be a problem for the Colts if the Texans give Deshaun Watson time to throw the football. So there you go, your injury report and your final hot read. All right, one guy ready to go for Sunday, and I know that he's got something to prove. Maybe to himself. People in Houston know how good a player Bernard McKinney is. But this front seven got gashed in the playoff game last year to the tune of 200 rushing yards. Yikes. BMAC, I know, has got something to prove. Well, he joins DP Sinu next on our one-on-one interview brought to you by Xfinity right here on Texans All Access. Last year's 21-7 playoff loss to the Indianapolis Colts, I know, left a significant impact on many people in this building. And one group I know it probably stings a little bit more than not is the front seven, defensive front seven. Last year in that game, the Colts ran for 200 yards. Two Bills against one of the best run defenses in the league. Nobody ran the ball on the Texans in 2018, minus the Giants. And I don't know what happened in that game. Nobody else ran the ball effectively. Ezekiel Elliott got shut down. Everybody else just nothing. Phil Lindsay got nothing. But the Colts, oh, the Colts ran for 200 yards. Now, why does that matter? Because I think that front seven is hungry. And I think Bernardrick McKinney, as the leader of that front seven, wants it about as badly as he would want anything else. A little bit of retribution to set things right against a division opponent on the road. B-Max made a ton of big plays in his career against the Indianapolis Colts. But boy, does this team need him on Sunday. And earlier this week, D.P. Sidhu had a chance to catch up with the defensive captain, Bernardrick McKinney for our Deep Slant interview of the week. It's the Deep Slant 101 presented by Xfinity. Our guest this week, Bernardrick McKinney, leading the AFC in total tackles since 2016. Welcome to the studio, BMAC. I didn't know that, but... You are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're leading the team currently. Let's talk about the linebackers group. You guys are playing so in sync right now, mm-hmm. on and off the field. You guys just really getting along well. Like, yeah. what's this year been like for you? Uh, it's, it's great, man. The linebackers... Uh, we, we hang together on and off the field, so we built up a lot of chemistry since Zach and you know, Dylan got here, uh, PK, TA. Uh, it's just a great feeling just being around them guys. We have a lot of fun on the field. It's just fun playing with them guys. I think your celebration before the game, the, the dancing that you guys do is a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, your arrival photos are really good as far as the matching shirts. You did oh, Teenage yeah. Mutant Ninja Turtles. The Dragon uh, Ball Z. Dragon uh, Ball Z. You did all black. One week. Yeah, yeah, we did do all black. That was uh, Space Jam. Space Jam. Space Jam. We did that. Yeah. yeah. Who plans these elaborate outfits? Uh, it started um, 
the first time, um, Zach, me and Zach, we watched Dragon Ball Z, and I was like, we should wear shirts. And then we left out Dylan and the other guys, so they was like, they wanted to get in on it. And then after that, Zach just been on Amazon just ordering the outfits. So. Yeah, he doesn't want to be left out, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You are really into Dragon Ball Z. Are they all into Dragon Ball Z as much as you? Yeah. You've got the, are they are they called action figures? Oh, yeah, I got them in my locker. In your locker? Yeah. What's, what's going on there? Um... My man cave got took away from the nursery, so <laughs> so I, I have I, to live somewhere. I, yeah, so so I was like, why not just put them in my locker, showcase them in my locker? So I just kept them in my locker. You've got quite a bit of jewelry. Do you have a Dragon Ball Z <laughs> character on a chain? Yeah, shout out to my boy Zoe Frost. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. I I wasn't sure. It looked like sort of the same thing that's in your locker. Oh yeah. All right, let's talk about your the the, the performance on the field, mm-hmm. Kansas City. You get the fumble recovery, big play right before the half to mm-hmm. sort of give the t- Texans the ball right there at the three-yard line. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that play, getting the fumble recovery. Because Charles uh, who told me, he said, I knew someone was going to get on that ball, but it, you were flying. Yeah, Charles did an unbelievable job. Uh, I, to be honest, I I just peripheral and just seen Charles arm, and then at the last minute I seen the ball on the ground, and I just seen two offensive linemen, and I know, but just I just knew they was going to, Basically, when Officer Lamy try to get the ball, they fall sideways. So I just, uh, my mind, I was just, I was in my mind, I was just gonna just lay out and just try to stay low and try to pull it to me. And I ended up getting there, and it was hard to get to keep the ball. But uh, I think I just wanted to do more. So yeah, that's probably the last place I would want to be. Like in a football game, is at the bottom of that pile. Oh yeah, I'm it's, sure it's, it's, it gets pretty nasty. It's hard to breathe down there, but yeah. it, it, it's it's fun, man. Um, at the bottom of the pile, we were just uh, laughing. Uh, uh, <laughs> me and Jacob uh, was at the bottom of the pile laughing. I, I remember the referee telling me, he was like, uh, 55, you can let go of the ball. It's <laughs> y'all ball. And I told him, I was like, I'm, I'm trying to take this ball home. So uh, it, it, it was fun. Great Did you place. get to take it home? I don't know where that ball is. You don't know where it is. No. Okay. Maybe you'll get another one. Yeah, I'm going to have to get, uh, tell Mike to uh, call Kansas City and uh, yeah, get, get that, that back. You. Yeah. Are you surprised about with the turn number of turnovers? It's like 19 straight games with a turnover. Mm-hmm. I remember a time when the defense was having a hard time forcing takeaways, mm-hmm. and now it seems like every single game mm-hmm. you guys are able to do that. What's been the difference? Yeah, knock on wood on that right, one. I don't want to stop there, but um, it's just guys that are out there just flying to the ball every play. I mean, Rack always tell us um, the ball make can roll our way. We just run into the ball, so guys just hustling. Uh, and just causing turnovers and everybody running to the ball and we're, we're able to come up with it. You guys are the rock boys. The guys in front of you are the lunch pill crew, the defensive linemen. <laughs> um, tell me about them and how much they really help what you guys are able to do. Uh, the D linemen, uh, they do an unbelievable job. Uh, very unselfish guys. Uh, DJ Rita, JJ Dunn, uh, Carlos, uh, Angelo, they do an unbelievable job just taking on blocks, not trying to do too much, not trying to uh, make tackles themselves. They, they're, they're really setting us up to make tackles. Uh, us being able to run around and make tackles, keeping a lot of double. T- I mean, holding a lot of double teams, keeping offensive linemen off of us. So. Yeah. Before the game, you and the LPC guys play a little game of baseball. Yeah. You're always batting, right? Yeah. DJ's the pitcher. Is uh-huh. that how they? Okay. So how how did that sort of start out? Why do you guys like doing that before games? I forgot when that first started, but you got a base hit at Kansas City, so I feel yeah, like maybe that I mean, was a good luck. I mean, I mean, I try, try. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's fun. I mean, you always gotta. Um, I mean, just we like to have fun, and um, like I said, I forgot when we first started doing it. But I mean, I'm. I think I'm two games up uh, with base hit, so 
this game, hope, hopefully trying to get another base hit. But DJ, he, he's he's starting to put some heat on it and throw curry ball, so I, I don't know. So You're getting really good with the with the pylon, oh, being yeah, able yeah. to hit the ball. Yeah, like, that's impressive. Yeah, the pylon is kind of heavy, too, also. It's, so <laughs> it's heavy and flimsy, so, I mean, like I said, I'm trying to keep doing good at that. Keep, uh, they trying to get an uh, outfielder now. I don't know why they're cheating, but. Yeah. All right. Well, how about they, the LPC? Rock Boys. What about the secondary? They don't have a name. They need to kind of get on this, don't they? Yeah, they they do. I mean, they do, but they they keep up with the handshakes. So they uh, <laughs> they, they keep up with all of the handshakes. You know, they got. Um, I only got a handshake with two people, but everybody else got multiple handshakes. But oh. I prefer to just have two because I I I'll probably forget the uh, the rest. But yeah, they do need to come up with a name, though. You used to play quarterback in college. I know we've talked about this a lot. When you look at what Deshaun Watson's able to do, because a lot of people have talked about in the last few games mm-hmm. how he's just really yeah. reached another level. Mm-hmm. I know you're focused on the defense, but when mm-hmm. you sort of look at him just as an observer, what, what do you think's been the difference with him, and, and what's really impressed you? What impressed me is just, um, like I said, a third down, and um, the uh, coaches are saying, uh, D, get ready. And I'm putting on my helmet, and, I, and it's like third and long. He scrambling and makes an unbelievable play, and it, that's like it's crazy. It's exciting for me, and it's um, for a defense when you're on the field and somebody make a play like that. It's, uh, it hurts, but just to see him just run around and just have fun is unbelievable. It seemed like in Kansas City, you guys had a lot of rest yeah, on the sideline. Like, yeah, do you yeah. like games like that when the offense is on the field the whole time? Were you itching to get back out there? I mean, it's always fun to, to watch the offense just keep driving the ball for so long. But then again. As a defensive player, sometimes we we do want to go on the field and you know have some of that fun too. But it's it's, it's very uh, very fun just to watch them just to keep converting on third down, making big plays. It's fun to uh, see them guys do that. You guys have been really good against the run these last few games. Seems like it's getting better every week. You have mm-hmm. a big challenge in Marlon Mack. Mm-hmm. Um, what's what's going to be the key to stopping him? And and what is the key to being effective against the run as a lineman? Uh, everybody just uh, doing their job. Uh, uh, everybody's in their gap. Everybody not I mean, people not trying to do too much. Um, um, the play present, uh, presents itself to you. You just make the play. But like I said, everybody just get lined up. Uh, defense playing with a lot of energy. Everybody flying to the ball. We should be great. All right, so we talked about you being quarterback. I was listening to a podcast where someone asked you what quarterback you would compare yourself to in college. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember what your answer was? Tim Tebow. Yeah, and Cam yeah. Newton. You said yeah. Cam, a little yeah. bit of both. Cam Newton first, and I was like my style, like my heart, the heart, and the uh, quarterback, Tim Tebow. What about your playing style, though? Like, actually, your fit, your style on the field. Were you like a scrambler? Were you a pocket passer? See, that's what I'll say. Tim Tebow or Cam Newton because both of them scrambled, both of them ran the ball. And, you know, I, I can't see what I want to say, but no, I, <laughs> I, I, I compare myself to both of them. So. I think that would have been a lot of fun to watch. Maybe you should have, like, a charity football game or something in the offseason. Yeah, I should. Where everybody should. plays, like, opposite positions. That would be fun. That Just would be fun. Out there. That would be fun. That would be fun. That would be fun. I mean, there's already the charity classic. You guys get plenty of practice with that. Uh-huh. Yeah. You'd probably kill it as a quarterback. I want to say that now, you know, my shows are getting a little banged up. <laughs> it's uh, time to warm up. We'll yeah. Make it, yeah. We'll make it, like, full tackle. I don't think Bill O'Brien would like that too much. I don't think I would like that. That's it's, it's a little more painful without shoulder pads. But like I said, that'd be fun. I'd probably throw some dimes out there, run the ball a little bit. All right, good stuff. Well, mm-hmm. wishing you best of luck for the rest of the season. Good luck getting some runs pregame uh-huh. every week, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Right. Thanks so much, Bernard. All right. All right. <laughs> I went to SEC Media Days uh, after Bernard had been drafted, and I had a chance to interview Dan Mullen. 
who was the head coach at the time at Mississippi State. He had recruited BMAC to Mississippi State, coached him for his time. And I'll never forget what he said. I asked him about how do you take a young man, 6'3", 210, as a quarterback and turn him into a linebacker. And he's like, well, you know, Bernardrick, you saw the good things. You know, Bernardrick put in the work. He wanted to play. He's a physical guy. He's a violent guy. And I said, well, did you ever think about playing a back quarterback? He goes, oh, no. He goes, Bernardrick thinks he can play quarterback, but no, no, don't let him tell you he can't. And I always, I always think about that because the pregame ritual for Bernardrick, for Whitney, DJ, uh, some of the Lunch Pail crew, they play a game of pylon football baseball. It's always, it's always fun to see. Very, very fun. But Bernardrick's got a big task ahead of him on Sunday, and that is Marlon Mack and this Colts offensive line. That's just one of the keys. What are my first community credit union first glance keys to the game? Well, I'll have them for you next, right here on Texans All Access. Hey, Houston area teachers, I am talking to you. You, 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 you. I know there are a bunch of you out there. You want to bring a little Texas football to your classroom? Then sign up for Toro's Matros, presented by ConocoPhillips. Toro's Matros is a video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to HoustonTexans.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn more. Now, I tell you that, and obviously that's a live read. I'm, I do that each and every show, I think. Maybe you do it Wednesday and Friday. But I've done that before as a teacher. I once did a physics test. I taught physics way back in the day. And I did a physics test, and the whole the test was completely and totally all about the Florida, Georgia, because I was in Jacksonville. The test was the same week of Florida-Georgia game, the rivalry, and every single question was based on that game. And my students never forgot it. They, they loved it. They loved it. They loved when I brought sports into it, whether I was teaching math or physics. It works. Toros, math drills. Get it done. Yeah, all you teachers out there, that's a good, and I know you know this, but it's always good to emphasize. Bring some fun stuff into the class. Bring some football into the classroom. And I guarantee you students will love it. They will understand it. And when they understand math, they will love it. No question. I am John Harris, your host of this Friday edition of Texas All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. And it's time to dive in deep, deep, deep with this matchup against the Indianapolis Colts, a team we all know well. We are a team they know well. It's one of those matchups twice a year, and it's been the last since Bill O'Brien's gotten here. Here's how it goes: 2014. Since 2014, there's been one game with a margin of victory larger than seven points. One, and that was in 2017, and the margin was only nine, but that was the year in which the Texans. Everybody was just dead, and I mean everybody. And it was the same for the Colts. Andrew Luck was out. T.Y. Hilton was banged up. I mean, that 2017 game, the finale of 2017, I mean, it was it was as – oh, God, I can't even describe that game. Anyways, the Colts ended up winning that game 22-13, to nine-point margin. No other game since Bill O'Brien has gotten here has had a margin bigger than seven in the regular season. Now, playoff game last year, eh, different story. 21-7. to seven. That was a two-score game. It was the only time that Deshaun Watson 
has lost has started at quarterback for a team and lost by more than a score. Think about that. Even last year, beginning of the year, Patriots lost by seven. Tennessee lost by three. Giants lost by three. Colts in the regular season lost by three. Eagles lost by two. That was it all year. And then the playoff game lost by a couple scores. So maybe there's a score to settle here. I don't think you could take that approach going into it. Two different teams, two different makeups. But I know that there are plenty of guys left over from last year's team that that loss left a stain. There's no question. There's no doubt. And it's not one that washes out all that easily to lose a playoff game to a rival. It's the first time you had played the Colts in a playoff game, and it, it didn't go well. So it's the first matchup since that time. So let's get into our first community credit union, first glance, keys to the game, FCCU, the official credit union of the Houston Texans. Let's dive in to the Texans' defense against the Colts' offense. What are the keys to stopping the Colts? The number one key overall, of all the things I've thought of all week, comes down to two words, wrap and up. Wrap up. Now, it's not so much about the receivers. The receivers, they're not tremendous after the catch, but they're, they're decent-sized receivers. I mean, Deion Kane's a, a bigger guy. He's got, like, hop. My concern is with Marlon Mack. Mack runs Hard. He's got a sweet jump cut. He f- has great vision. So he finds horizontal holes sometimes. Like sometimes he gets to a hole and he looks at it and goes, man, I don't like what's in front of me. But let me jump. I'll jump cut one way. Oh, there we go. There is a hole. I did a Telestrator, and you'll see it on game day on KPRC at 830 uh, Sunday morning. And that's exactly the exact play I pulled up was a run against the Kansas City Chiefs where it was it was inside zone, may have been a duo play, but either way, there were Chiefs there to stop him, and he just gone, and then took a jump cut. And it was jump cut, make, make a guy miss a tackle, jump cut, another couple of tackles missed, and now he's off into space. Now, I don't think he's the fastest guy in the world, but he does not go down. Remember that 2017 game I was telling you about? I have never in my life, Ever, 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 ever seen a running back straight arm Jadeveon Clowney and put him right down into the ground. Never. Marlon Mack did it that day, and I, I was standing right there. I was like, it was right where I was. And I was like, whoa. I've never seen that before. Wrap up. You cannot give Mack yards after contact. You're going to get some because that's just the, the virtue of a guy running hard, but you cannot allow him to break through arm tackles, weak tackle attempts. You've got to bring everything you've got and then hands to wrap up. Okay, that's key number one. Number two, last year Eric Ebron was a major thorn in the side in the two losses against the Texans, or against uh, as he was against the Colts. He was tremendous. And then, of course, he preened the camera saying you can't cover him man-to-man. Well, I'll take my money with Sean Gibson covering him man-to-man. But here's a little bit of why it's different this week than it was last. The Chiefs were not going to run the ball on you, and they were not going to run it very well. The Colts can run the ball. So you're going to need Justin Reed slash Deshaun Gibson to come on into the box and help at times to run the ball. That's when the Colts are going to 
fire the ball to Eric Ebron. Ebron becomes a big key in this game. So first and second down run defense becomes huge. So that you set up second and long, third and long, so that you know, okay, they're going to throw the ball on a down like this. We've got to take care of Ebron. Now, there's also Jack Doyle there, but Ebron proved last year that he's the more dynamic of the two and creates probably bigger issues for the Texans. Because in those two losses against the Colts, Ebron was outstanding. Couldn't stop him. The first game, he dropped everything. The second two games, he went nuts. The Colts won. Eric Ebron and slowing Eric Ebron ends up being a key. Number three, this kind of goes a little bit with one and stopping the run. But how are you going to stop the run? The only way that teams have really run the ball in the Texans this year is when the Texans, if it's happened at all, is when the Texans have either not wrapped up a few times on Alvin Kamara that happened in the Saints game. Other than that, they've done a pretty good job of being gap disciplined. Now, some will say, well, Christian McCaffrey, McCaffrey, it took 37 touches for him just to get to 180 total yards. He was averaging less than five yards per touch. So they didn't do a horrible job against him even. He ran hard. When they got into trouble, it's because, A, they have not been gap disciplined. But I'm going to throw this one on top because they did not do this in the game against the Colts in the playoffs. They did not set the edge. In fact, there is a run by Marlon Mack. They've got a 7 to nothing lead. We have to punt back to them because we got stopped at about midfield. They get the ball, and they hand a Marlon Mack on a kind of a pin-and-pull play. Basically, they take, the, they take the tackle and the tight end, and they pin everybody inside, and they pull the guards around. And when the guard pulled around, there was one guy, I think it was either Zach or maybe a defensive back, I can't remember, and the guard just buried him. And Mack just had this direct line because we didn't set the edge against them. That is paramount. Whitty Merciless does a really good job at this. Obviously, J.J. does a good job at this. His size is very difficult to handle for tight ends and even tackles. So he sets a good edge. But they've got to be ultra-disciplined about it. They have got to be good in their gaps. They've got to control the interior. And that is going to be very difficult with Quinn Nelson there. But I guarantee you, DJ Reader is looking forward to this game. Going against a guy like Quinn Nelson, look, everybody knows and talks about how great Nelson is and this and that. But if you have a great game against him, that's what starts getting you some acclaim. That's what starts getting you some attention, if you will. Not that that's what drives the LPC or even drives DJ Reader, but you have good games against Quinn Nelson, people take notice as a defensive line. But you've got to do it out on the edge as well. You cannot allow direct lines downhill for Marlon Mack and the running backs of the Colts to hit. So you've got to set the strongest edge possible and then be ultra-disciplined in your run-gap assignments. Let your linebackers do the work. Set the edge, dominate the interior, and let B. Mack and Zach run the football, and they'll make it worth it. I guarantee you. Number four, stay deep and stay in coverage. Jacoby Brissett does two things. Number one, he holds the ball a little bit longer than he should, and that's just something he hasn't worked through, honestly. And the second one is he's like Ben Roethlisberger in that Roethlisberger almost invited people to be hitting him and hanging on him, but he was going to hold it to the last possible instance until he found it. It's kind of like a radar, like just go through it. And then he would get rid of it. Brissett does the same thing. Now, Brissett is not as cool and calm under pressure as Ben is, but Brissett you can relax as a DB thinking, oh, they got the sack and stop for a second. The receiver keeps going. He breaks out of it, and now you're out of phase. 
Stay deep. Stay in coverage. Last and certainly not least, and this kind of goes with three, stack and shed. Get off blocks. Don't let this Colts offensive line occupy blockers. And here's one. Be violent. Be quick. Be violent. Be quick. Be violent to get your hands, body, everything through a blocker. Have leverage. And then get off the block quickly. Be violent. Be quick. And be gone. Get off that block. Go find the football. And make sure Marlon Mack is held in check. All right, let's move over to the Texans' offense against the Colts' defense. The one thing that the Texans have got to handle, number one, right out of the chute, the Colts love to penetrate. Marcus Hunt and Danico Autry inside. They're not the biggest guys in the world. Now, Hunt looks, he's tall, but he's not 315, 320 pounds. Danico Autry is certainly not that, but he's 285 pounds, and he's quick, and he plays angry. Those guys penetrate. Now, penetration causes chaos. So you can't allow the penetration. You must slow down that penetration. When I talked about that word violent and quickness, they are quick, violent, and they're relentless. They do not stop coming. But you've got to hit them just like last week. Keep hitting them keep coming and slow them down eventually. That'll happen. Number two, if there's time to throw, and that's not easy this week, now, there is no Kamiko Toure rushing the edge, but there is a Justin Houston. There is a Ben Banagu. There is an Al-Kadim Muhammad. There are guys that can get to the quarterback from the edge. And Marcus Hunt creates problems because he's 6'9". And Autry's a problem because he's so quick inside. But if there is time to throw, there are going to be open receivers when the Colts play zone. Now, the Colts didn't play a lot of zone against the Chiefs because they felt like they could match up with the Chiefs receivers because there was no Tyreek and there was no Sammy. So they played a lot of man, and then they gave help over the top. I don't know if the Colts want to play man against this group of receivers, but if it's zone, they'll get be guys open. There were guys open all game long in the playoff game, really. Just didn't have time to throw. With time to throw, receivers will be open in zone. Number three, expect the unexpected from Matt Eberflus, the defensive coordinator. A great example of that was in the playoff game, I can't remember, it was one of the Texas running backs motioned out wide. He started back really motioned out wide, and Darius Leonard went with him, which is usually the universal signal for man-to-man coverage, linebacker on a running back. But the Colts played cover two zone, and Leonard essentially became the rolled-up cover two corner. You don't expect that. When he goes out there, you're like, that's my key. That's man. And all of a sudden, they're sitting there playing cover two. Now, Everfus likes to play cover two, but you've got to expect the unexpected. Pre-snap, what do you see? Post-snap. Make sure you double-check. I think it's man, but uh uh-oh. Darius is staying over there. This could be covered. All right, I know what it is. Expect the unexpected. Number four, and this one's easy, so I won't spend too much time on it. Please, 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 ball carriers, hang on to the daggum football. All the way through the tackle, all the way to the ground. I don't know how many times the ball is loose and was loose on the ground. Carlos Hyde fumbled, and there was one where he hit the ground and it popped out. Hop had one of those when his momentum had been stopped and the ball popped out. Duke dove for the end zone and scored, but because of his momentum and he hit the ground, the ball went out. Now, look, I understand hitting the ground and the ball comes out. Like, that's physics, right? But hang on to the ball. One of the biggest things about beating the Chargers earlier in the year was hanging on to the football, not turning it over. And then the one turnover the Chargers had was a killer because the Texans went down and scored after that. Hang on to the daggum football. Number five, figure out early 
how the Colts are going to cover the Texans' tight ends. Darren Fells and Jordan Akins have been a huge problem. Now, there'll be people that say, well, you know, they're not Ebron, they're not Jack Doyle. Yeah, they're not. They can be even better. They can be really dynamic because both guys can block. Both guys are used to block. So when they're in the game, you don't know whether they're going to add to the protection or they're going to be outlet routes or they're going to be seam routes right down the middle of the field and be a huge problem. So figure out, uh, Matt Eberflus, how he's going to cover these tight ends. I would imagine going in that they want to stop DeAndre Hopkins. They need to stop DeAndre Hopkins. That I know they look at Hop and they respect Hop immensely. They don't really respect everybody else. They respect Will Fuller's speed. They don't really respect anybody else. I can tell you that for a fact. So figure out how they're covering the tight ends and then exploit the hell out of it. Because I don't think that they're going to be able to cover everybody that you have. Are they going to be able to give help over the top to Fuller as they're trying to maybe double Hopkins, but then all of a sudden the tight ends, who's left to cover the tight ends? Who's left to cover Kiki on the inside? I don't think Kiki has to get to 11 catches. I don't think he will. But if you need to, go to it. Don't be afraid to go to that well. Don't be, do not be afraid to go to Kiki, but figure out what they're doing with the tight ends because that's, I think, where you can make some money. I think the tight ends on both sides are going to have a lot of attention because with the, the Colts, you know Ebron and Jack Doyle are going to get attention. And somehow, some way, the Colts got to figure out how to cover these tight ends and Jordan Akins and Darren Fells. But the Colts have got to account for other things in the passing game as well. Look, I didn't even mention T.Y. Hilton. Stopping T.Y. Hilton is going to be big. So you know what? A sixth defensive key would be figure out what you're doing with T.Y. And if you devote two guys to him the whole game, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. The sixth offensive key would be, now I don't, you know, find a blitz. Whether it's Kenny Moore or whoever's coming, find the daggum blitz. Pick it up, get rid of the football, and move the sticks. That blitz was an absolute killer. In the regular season loss last year and the playoff loss. Know where it's coming. Know when it's coming. Receivers adjust. Deshaun throw hot. Catch the football and make them pay for it. Make them pay. If you do that and do those things and follow those keys, which you have done the last couple of weeks, you can win the football game. You can absolutely win the football game. So let's go do it. Those were your first community credit, your first glance, keys to the game. Coming up next, I'll ask Mark what he thinks. The Voice of the Texans with me next right here on Texans All Access. Welcome back to our second hour of the show. I am your host, John Harris, Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am joined now by the Voice of the Texans. Mark, how are you? Johnny, I'm doing great. It's game weekend. I mean, the Astros, congratulations on uh, pushing the Yankees, the hated Bombers, to the brink. That's great. And I know they're getting ready to roll, but... The Texans getting ready to roll at the Colts. And, look, I became a sports fan in the Northeast, so the Yankees, to me, were despised, unless you're a Yankee fan, of course. Right. And Red Sox, Yankees, and that rivalry. And I always, you know, kind of think of that kind of thing when I'm thinking about the Texans and the Colts. Even though the Colts have owned the rivalry. We talked about this last night. You mentioned 4-4 and in the last eight regular season games, but overall only eight wins in the entire history of the rivalry if you can call it that with the Texans so that's still a behemoth to me 
And the fact that the Texans have won three of their last four up there is huge, and that's great, and you want to keep that thing rolling. But I never take that for granted because I remember the tough times. Yes. I remember Peyton Manning just torturing this team and all the painful losses to Andrew Luck, of course, as recently as last year, twice. I remember the 2015 game distinctly. And it's, it's interesting because you and I, I got in the building in 2014, and we, we talked a million times about the Colts and going to Lucas Oil and the history of it and you know, how close it got in 2011 that J.J. gets called for those two bogus 15-yard penalties. Mm. And Dan Orlovsky ends up getting the win. You're like, God, can we ever win up here? Yeah. And then 2014, I'll never forget 2014 because it was like that was my first time in Indy. And I remember thinking, well, this is, they, they could have a shot here. You know, they got a shot in 2014. The Colts had played well, but, you know, we had – cut that one to 33-28 and had the ball at our place in the Thursday night game and then it didn't go well and we didn't win that game but I thought they'll have a good plan for him. You know, Fitzy's mm-hmm. back. He's kind of rolling now. They might yeah. have a plan for him and then Fitzy gets hurt. Yeah. And they end up getting it to 17-10 to and I'll never forget they scored to tie the game at 14 and Arian goes in and I'm like, oh my goodness could this happen today? And then Devere Posey got called for a was I think it was Devere Posey, uh, got called for a flag. And mm-hmm. then Drew brought it back. They'd kick a field goal. So now it's 14-10 instead of 14-14. And then they ended up winning at 17-10. But I realized in 2015 what that game meant to everybody. Oh, yeah. I knew, but I didn't really know. And then when A.J. picks off that pass, and it's really over, over at that point, I didn't see you guys up in the – I could just hear it. I could hear it from you guys, but I could also see on the sidelines. There have been guys on that sideline that had been through so many of those games. Yeah. And they were hugging and they were celebrating, and they knew what that meant also in terms of the division race, but I knew to a lot of them it's like, whoa, like we did we did this. We finally we beat these guys in their building, and we haven't done that for you know 13 years at that point. We finally did it. And they went back and did it in 16, and they yeah. went back and did it in 18. So, I don't. You're right. I don't think it should ever lose its luster because you got to remember what that was like in the RCA Dome when Manning is doing his thing, and then they get in the Lucas Oil, and he's continuing to do it. Then Andrew Luck takes over, and then you finally break through in 15, and you you do that, and you realize winning up there, no matter what, I don't care if they're 0 and 15, you're playing them last game of the year. Beating them up there is still a special thing. It's so special. And how about this for close? 9 missed field goal at oh. the buzzer to send it into overtime. I mean, that hurt a lot. And that was a great play by the Texans to get it into field goal range. I think it was Schaub to Jacoby Jones. Yeah. And they missed the kick. Oh. I mean, it's just they have so many moments. Even in 08, Sage Rosenfels had the ball late with a chance to tie or yeah. win. So it, there have been a lot of close calls up there. You're right about 15. I'll never forget leaving the broadcast booth right after the game and just going to the restroom or something, yeah. and I was I had my arms in the air. It was very <laughs> unobjective of me to, to parade to the press box like that, <laughs> but I couldn't help it. And honestly, I think that's the happiest I've ever been after a road victory. Yeah. You know, people talk – People were saying last week, oh, this is the biggest win of the Bill O'Brien era. Look, I don't know how to gauge last week. I can yeah. tell you this. Last week's not going to feel that great anymore if you lose this week. No this doubt. is a huge, huge building block right here. Division games count, what, like one and a half, really, Yeah. Uh, however you want to weigh it. The weight of this, it is on the road, so 
it's not like this is a great expectation to get it done, but hey, get it done. You've got a good team. You've got to play better. Bill O'Brien last hour talked about it. Got to play clean. Mm-hmm. Can't be missing kicks, committing 10 penalties. Putting the ball you, on the turf. You, you can't be oh. doing that against this team because they're going to – the Colts' recipe is let's play clean, right. let's pound the ball, let's not make the mistakes, let's right. have them make the mistakes. And right. if that happens, you're going to come away with an L and uh, you got to find a way to work it out. Yeah, th- that – you're so right about that because I think if – all things being same, you don't turn the ball over, they don't turn the ball over. If that's the same, penalties are about the same. You don't make that back-breaking mistake. There's nothing huge in special teams that happens. On paper, you should have an advantage because you should be able to have balance in your offense. Yep. Defensively, you're one of the better teams against the run in the league. I was a little surprised when I looked at the numbers, their numbers, and how much they've given up. Off, uh, on the defensive side of the yeah. ball. I was like, wow, Rushing yards. Yeah, they really have gotten – and the thing is, we, in either the playoff game or the game in December, we did not run the ball well against them. Yeah. We really didn't. But this is a different offensive line, obviously, and, mm-hmm. and Titus won't play, so now Rod's in there. But I'll tell you this, Rod hits with some heavy hands. So they're going to have to give some help, I think, in the rush game. But there's no Kamiko Toure. That, I think, is bigger than people anticipate. Really? When people think, Kamiko Toure, like, who the heck is that? Well, he was the Colts' best pass rusher. No, 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 they have Justin Houston. Trust me. Kamiko Toure. Well, he's nicked up. Kamiko Toure was the best pass rusher on the Colts. Mm-hmm. He was better than Justin Houston. He was more dynamic. He has a long arm, gangly, strong, fast, quick, violent athlete. And that's really what Ballard's looking for uh, as a GM of the Colts. Him going out is a major story. Now, it does bring to the forefront Ben Banigou, a rookie, and al Kadim Muhammad, who Muhammad had a really good game against us in the playoffs. So it's not as if it gets any easier. But if you don't turn the ball over, you don't put it on the turf, there's no Andrew Luck to save them. And I know, look, I, I have respect for Jacoby Brissett. He's been in Texas three times. But I don't think he can put the Colts on his back like Luck did last year, 28-10. to 10. And it's like, look, let me fire it 62 times, Frank. Let me get this thing done as close as we possibly can. They don't want to do that. No. But if they have to, I don't know that they can like they did last the, year. They're going to need – if the if I'm doing a talk show now in Indianapolis, I'm saying let's keep this to 20-17, to 17, win that kind of game, yep. and just have Brissett – you just got to get us some key third right. downs here. Hit the tight ends. Hit Ebron. Yeah. Or, Di- or, or run every once in a while. Surprise right. them with an end-around run and just move the sticks and keep them going, and that's how they're going to look at things. Yeah. You know, maybe pop a big play once to T.Y. Hilton. I know he hasn't been going deep to him because he can't, yeah. right? And and the yards per attempt for Jacoby Brissett are not exactly luck-like. That's a big factor as well. But the identity is running the ball. Yep. However, you pointed out the one thing that I think a lot of people have to pay attention to, is, and that's the defense. I know they held the Chiefs to 13. They got really physical. They beat them up. They hit Mahomes okay. And that's what they're probably thinking about the Texans. we got to try to hit Watson. Right. Texans line better than the Chiefs line right now. Right. And you got to find a way to protect him. And Watson's got to know they're coming after him. That's, I mean, look what happened to Mahomes last night. Watson's got to know that it's that that's the game plan. That's a yep. big part of it anyway. Try to hit Deshaun, knock him around a bit, just get off the field on third down and let the offense grind clock and, and try to win a low-scoring game relatively. On the T.Y. Hilton thing, mm-hmm. I, I was asked by Clint Wade this uh, when I was on uh, Clint's show on Wednesday. And I said, well, what about T.Y. Hilton? I said, well, you don't want to get 
you don't want to get too proud. Like, okay, one guy's got this. You got to spin the dial on Ty. You you can't let him kill you. And this passing situations, there's got to be two guys on him. I said, what makes it difficult though, and this is, I, I said, I don't know if I'm going to regret this. I almost want to invite the throws at Ty because that takes them out of what they do well. Yeah, what they do well is pound the rock. Yeah, you mentioned that, but and you- I know it sounds odd because in his 15 games against the Texans, as Drew sent this to us. T.Y. Hilton has 81 catches for 1,530 yards and nine touchdowns. Uh, those are Pro Bowl. Those numbers. are 15. <laughs> all right, so that's 15 games. That's like that's a season's worth of games, pretty much. And it's 1,500 yards and nine touchdowns. And how many catches? 81. I mean, that's a huge yards per catch uh, average, massive. right there. Yeah, I mean that's 18, 17, 18. I mean, yards. if you have a 1,500 oh. yard receiving season in 15 games with only, I'll put that in air quotes, 81 catches, yeah. that is getting the job done. That's big playmaking. However, Johnny, in the games they've won. They've kept them pretty quiet. Even in the playoff game, I know he wore the clown mask, and early on he, he made some big plays, but he, he kind of quieted down. I mean, they kind of didn't because get to why? Him. Why? They ran the ball. Right. And that's 200 yards. Team, to me, that's the key. Yeah. That's the key. And if every single one of these defensive linemen, front seven guys, yeah. don't have that number 200 yards, and I mean, that to yeah. me has got to be something. If you ask him and say, look, what was the what's, what's one thing you remember about the 2018 season? The competitors, and I think they all are, they'll go, you know, it was a really good season, but. The way it ended. The way it ended. It's kind of like the 15 season we're talking about. That was a really nice comeback, win the division for the first time in a while. However, the way it ended was not good. And specifically for those guys, having them run 200 yards on you. You're like, wait a second, nobody runs 200 yards on us. Nobody ran 200 yards on them. And then in the biggest game all year, the Colts ended up doing it. What do you make? Of the Chiefs with nine sacks against the Broncos Thursday night, I was shocked. And zero sacks against us on that last Sunday. Uh, I, well, that's it's hard a, to make anything out of it. But I'm watching that game, going, "Oh my God!" There are nine sacks. I think there were six or seven in the first half alone. I don't know how Denver is this bad after winning a couple of games, and yeah. then your Thursday the first drive night, was right down the field. You're you're watching Mahomes on Sunday, thinking this is a good time to get him on a right. short week at our place. If I'm Denver, yeah, let's go take advantage of it. We'll be three and four. We're right back in the mix. Right. We're right back in it because that would be a third loss on the Chiefs, and you had beaten them. You're a game back. Right. I mean, my and the Chargers are struggling, and the Raiders are not setting the world on fire, but they're right. looking pretty good. good but at but, least you're in the yeah. mix at the halfway point. No, sorry. As Pro Football Talk had a funny tweet: fire sale at the trade deadline. Back on in Denver, <laughs> and <laughs> it's that's true. I mean, it's true. I mean, I you know I would imagine they're gonna. I would imagine John Elway's gonna field calls for Vaughn Miller, Chris Harris Jr. I mean, I don't know. Really. I would have, absolutely. I mean, they you don't put think a, that some team that's lacking uh, a pass rush right now is thinking, no. "Hey, you think Von Miller could help us?" Well, you know what I'm asking for if I'm Elway. Well, heck what's, yeah. the, what's the current price? <laughs> two first round, two ones, <laughs> two ones. He's not going to get that for Vaughn, but I, I well, you never know, Johnny. You never know. You might get it because again, you know, here's like a team that scares me to death that might. do Oh it. gosh, no. Yes, they won't do it. Yes, they would. They would do it. You think that? Yeah, absolutely. And you all know we're thinking of the Patriots. Yeah, of course. There's no doubt. Two ones? They wouldn't give up two ones, though. But the Patriots have 14, 14 draft picks heading into the 2020 draft. 14. And you How know Belichick's ones? not picking 14. Uh, I think they just have one. But they've got such other ammunition, though. That oh, my gosh. I'm you, feeling you ill. You can squeeze them for 
they're one this year and then a bunch of other stuff to go with it. It wouldn't be ones, but the Broncos are not one player away. They need to build this with second, third, fourth rounders that end up turning into players. Yeah, yeah. That's what they need. So, I don't – Boy, have they fallen from grace so quickly oh. relatively, right? I mean, they've really taken a dive. I mean, that 2015 defense just, you know, DeMarcus Ware retires, you know, keeps lead, goes to the Rams. Yeah. T.J. Ward is let go, and all of a sudden, I mean, those are key pieces for that defense. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Vaughn looks around. It's like that Will Smith, you know, gif. Well, at the end of uh, Fresh Prince, he looks around. And <laughs> Where like, is everybody? Where is everybody? And all he sees is Chris Harris. I mean, that's yeah. it. You know, Roby's you know, here with us. It's like there's nobody he recognizes. And obviously Bradley Chubb is there. And, oh, okay, we got this great combination. But then Chubb is, you know, down. I know Drew Locke got hurt, but you think that's the long-term plan at quarterback it's still? Be. It's got to be. Flacco, there's no way. I mean, well, I know Flacco's not it, but I'm wondering what he's thinking, Elway. Well, what? he's got to be thinking, hey, let's see what we got. Yeah, let's see. We got it, Drew Lock. Let's see. I mean, he's a second round pick. Man, I may not amount to anything, but he's been injured, so he can't. I don't think he can come back until another week or two. But Flacco's not. Flacco's not the answer. There's no, there's no not with that offensive line. But here's the thing: Elway's been there long enough to pick how many different quarterbacks. Right. Oh, I know. I know. It, it hasn't has, worked out. Uh, and where it also hasn't worked out is on the offensive line too. That's the other the other place. They were leaking like a sieve last oh, night. It was brutal. They couldn't pick up the blitz to save their lives, mm-hmm. and it, it was it was bad. It was really truly bad. I, I don't know if I took a ton out of it, other than the fact that the Texans housed that defense. I mean, the didn't Broncos you expect did zero? Didn't you expect sort of the Broncos to take over after Mahomes went out? Like, well, yeah. it's time for them to make a move. Yeah. No, nope. Philip Lindsay, run Freeman, run those two guys. Not make so much. Yep, not going to happen. Mark, appreciate it. Thanks, Johnny. Coming up next, we're going to go round the NFL and do it my way. You'll find out what that means next right here on Texans All Access. All right, let's dive back into the show. Texans All Access on this wonderful Friday evening. And, boy, it is wonderful outside. And on Sunday, we'll be playing inside up at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, Indiana. But welcome back to the show from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harrison, I love going around the NFL. I love talking about the league. I love everything that's going on with the league. The controversy about refs and officiating and all that kind of stuff. And then talking about the things that are going on. I love I love talking about it. I love talking about your Texans. I love talking about the NFL and what's happening. And I always have this segment as a way to talk about the NFL. And I make predictions. So that's kind of how I weave in my talk about the NFL. And I would have gotten one right last night. I thought the Chiefs were going to hammer the Broncos. The Chiefs did hammer the Broncos. But as we mentioned earlier in the show, the big news, Patrick Mahomes injured in that loss. Yee. And I'll, I'll be honest, I I hated seeing that. I hated it. I like Patrick Mahomes. I like Patrick Mahomes the person. I like Patrick Mahomes the player. I like him every day, but last Sunday when we're playing him. But I think Patrick Mahomes is what's good about this league. I love that he's in the AFC, so matchups with Mahomes and Watson can happen hopefully every year from here on out. I mean, that was, that was fun Sunday, and obviously more fun because the Texans won. But I hated to see that. But from a prediction standpoint, I thought that was going to happen. Broncos' offense was awful. Put it this way. The Texans gave up zero sacks to the Chiefs. The Chiefs had nine sacks to Joe Flacco. Oh, how does that compute? Well, 
I'll let you figure it out. But the Broncos fall to two and five as the Chiefs move to five and two, what the Texans are trying to get to on Sunday with a game against the Colts. Now, let's get our predictions going for this weekend. Straight up and against the spread. But Maestro, my music, please. And there it is. Okay, let's start in the ATL where things have not gone well for Dan Quinn. Ouch. After a one-and-one start, the Falcons have lost four in a row, including last week when Devontae Freeman scored under two minutes left in the game and Matt Bryant shanked wide left the extra point. I mean, by wide left, I mean not even close. You knew it was missed immediately. They get to host the L.A. Rams. The Rams have lost three in a row. But the Rams made a big, actually a few big moves. Traded Marcus Peters to the Ravens. They traded for Jalen Ramsey. Now, how much that matters? I don't know. But Jalen Ramsey against Julio Jones is worth the price of admission. But the Rams are going to, I think, bounce back. And they're going to do a number on the Falcons. I think the Falcons will keep it close for a little while. But I think the Rams are going to win this game. The Rams are favored by three. I think they win by more than three. So go Rams to win and cover the three. Now, there are some rough games on the schedule this week. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. There are some, I mean, 49ers, Redskins, Jaguars at Bengals. This isn't one of them, but the point spread tells you what Vegas thinks of the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins went for two last week with six seconds left down by one. Stopped at the goal line, lose to the Redskins, gave the Redskins their first win of the year. The, Reds, the Dolphins now go to Miami or to uh, Buffalo. Excuse me, they're from Miami. Sorry, the Buffalo Bills are favored by seventeen. I I can't go with that. I think Buffalo's got one of the best defenses in the league, if not the best. Josh Allen is improving each and every week. The Bills coming off a bye. The Bills are fresh. You would think they're going to spank the Dolphins. I just don't know that the Bills right now are worthy of being a 17-point favorite of anybody. So I am going to take the Bills to win, but I think the Dolphins get inside that 17. I think that's the way it'll happen. The Jaguars go to the Bengals. The Bengals are B-A-D bad. The Jags haven't been able to score lately. Now, DJ Chark is racking up some receiving yards, but Gardner Minshew had a tough game against the Saints' stout defense. The Jags are favored by four on the road. This is where the Jaguars can start to make up some ground on somebody, anybody. they got to go to Cincinnati to do it. Cincinnati's looking at it thinking, well, wait, we can get our first win of the year. Not happen. The Bengals will fall to 0-7. The Jaguars will get a win, and the Jags will cover that four. The Vikings go to the Lions. The Lions played on Monday night. Should have won that game in Lambeau. Should have won that game. Very poor officiating. Some bad calls down the stretch cost the Lions. Lions now 2-2-1. Now, Lions cost themselves two by offensively kind of going into a shell a little bit in the second half. That said, the Vikings seem to break out of an offensive shell. Stephon Diggs, fantastic last week. Kirk Cousins, fantastic against the Eagles. Minnesota's favored by two. I'm going to flip the script. I'm going upset here. I'm going Lions to win at home and the upset over the Vikings. So, obviously, the Lions will cover. How about that? Lions to win and cover against the Vikings. Packers. Get a visit from the Raiders. Now, the Packers get that Monday night win over the Lions. Took advantage. Need a Mason Crosby field goal at the end to do it. Didn't look like they were going to be able to. 
But they did. But the receiving core is banged up something big time. The Raiders come from that game in London and had a bye week last week. But they continue to be on the road. That's going to catch up to them at some point. I think it catches up to them here slightly. I just think the Packers are a better team. So I'm going to get the Packers to win. But I'm going to give the Raiders the cover. It's a five-and-a-half point spread. I think the Raiders will get inside that, but the Packers are going to end up winning this one by four. That's less than five-and-a-half. So give the Packers the win and the Raiders the cover. Then you got Texans-Colts. This is essentially a pick. I mean, he's favored by one. And you know how I always feel. Heart and head. Can't go against it. I always pick the Texans to win and cover, and hopefully they will. Let's go to the Cardinals-Giants. Like I told you, there's some lousy games. But there's some intriguing stuff in some of these lousy games. This one features the top two rookie quarterbacks taken. Kyler Murray taking number one overall. The Giants, Daniel Jones taking number six overall. They meet the Giants. Eh. Without offensive help last week, Daniel Jones was in some trouble. The Cardinals got a win. As somebody put on Twitter, and I, this is very interesting to think about, that the Cardinals have made a few goal against the Lions at the end of the ballgame or in overtime. The Cardinals have the same record as the L.A. Rams. Cliff Kingsbury's got it done. They beat the Bengals. They beat the Falcons, two teams that you could argue whether they should have beaten or not. They're better than the Bengals. I think they're on par with the Falcons as a, you know, team-wise, and I think they're better than the Giants. But going to New York and proving it are two different things. But you know what? I'm going to ride the hot hand here. I'm going to ride Kyler Murray for the Cardinals to get a win. The Giants are favored by three. It's because Vegas doesn't really know what to do with it. But I'm going to ride Kyler Murray. I think the, the Cardinals are a little bit of a wave. I'm going to get them to 3-3-1 three, three, and one with a win and obviously a cover over the Giants. The 49ers travel east. They will play a 9 o'clock a.m. body clock game against the Redskins. I know this one means a lot to Kyle Shanahan. It means a lot to Dan Snyder, too, but I don't think the Redskins are playing for Dan Snyder, to be honest with you. And they, well, they're playing for Bill Callahan, but I don't think they're all that triggered about that either. I think the 49ers are going to win this. I think the 49ers want to get in and get out. I think 10 points is a little too rich. I think the 49ers win. I think it's a it's a, a low-scoring game. 17-9, 13-3, something like that. I don't think it gets above 10. So let's go with the 49ers to win the Redskins who somehow get that cover. And then you got AFC South. You got the Titans at home with Marcus Ryan Tannehill at quarterback taking on big Philly-style Phillip Rivers and the L.A. Chargers. Well, the Chargers at some point are too talented to play as they're playing. They just shoot themselves in the foot all over the place. I do not see the Titans playing any better with Ryan Tannehill than they did with Marcus Mariota. But it's at home, and I will give the Titans the edge. This is no more than a three-point game, and I don't like that because the spread is two and a half. So I think Tennessee is going to get the win, and you know what? I'm going to give them the cover. I hope it doesn't happen. I hope it doesn't happen. I hope the Chargers go in there and wallop them. But I think the Titans will find something. They'll reach back for something this one time, and they'll get it, and they'll get a narrow win, 17-13, 21-17, 24-20. They'll cover that two and a half barely, but give the Titans the win and the cover. The Saints go to the Bears. T. Bridgewater, 4-0 as a starter, and doing a bang-up job. 
going to face the Bears. I think the Bears, coming off a bye, I think the Bears have been overrated throughout. Now, Mitch, Mitch Trubisky's been back at practice. I don't care if it's Trubisky or Daniel. It doesn't matter to me, really. I think the Saints are just that much better. Chicago's favored by three and a half. I can't see that at all. I'm taking the Saints to win and to obviously cover that three and a half. Ravens and Seahawks. This might be one of the better games of the day. The Ravens go out to Seattle. Earl Thomas going back to the scene of the crime, if you will. Well, actually where he played his ball. The Seahawks 5-1. Legit MVP candidate Russell Wilson has been doing a bang-up job. Seattle's only favored by three. I think that if any defense is going to slow down Lamar Jackson, it's going to be Seattle's. I think Seattle is going to force him to have to throw. And albeit, and I said this many times, I think Lamar throws it better than people think. I think it's going to cost him in this one. I think the, I think the Seahawks get a comfortable win. This feels like a 10-point victory. Take the Seahawks to beat the Ravens by more than three. Seahawks to win and cover. Eagles, Cowboys, both teams three and three. In the NFC East, <laughs> that's saying something. You got three and three Eagles, three and three Cowboys, two and five, two and four Giants, and one and five Redskins. The winner of this goes to first place. I think it's going to be the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys bounce back at home and get the dub. They're a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I think the Eagles will bounce back and play better. But I think the Cowboys' sense of urgency has got to be higher, and I think it will. And then on Monday night, the Patriots take on the J-E-T-S Jets, Jets, Jets. I would love to see the Jets pull an upset. I think Sam Darnold's going to get some stuff done. C.J. Mosley's on his way back. Le'Veon Bell, Robbie Anderson. The Jets with Darnold, a quarterback, I, they're a live dog. They're a live dog. Now, can they beat the Pats? I don't think they're going to beat the Pats. But nine and a half? That's the spread. I don't know if I love that. But I'm not dumb. So I'm going to go Patriots to win and to cover that nine and a half. Now, it might be a, a late fourth quarter touchdown that gets the cover. I do think the Jets will stay in this one for a little while. With Darnold in the game. And by the way, how are the Jets getting two Monday night games within the first seven weeks of the year? Had the Browns. They got this one. Either way, give the Patriots the win and the small cover. That'll work. Patriots win and cover. So there you go. All right, coming up next, it's our players segment. We bounce around the players, the locker room. We get some sound from Piscar TV. We get some My Football Story. And we also get the final word with Drew Doherty. We got all that next in our final segment of Texas All Access. We've got one final segment of this Friday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, your host, football analyst and sideline reporter. But a great show thus far. We've had a ton of participation on the show. Now, in the final segment each and every Friday, I like to turn it over to the players. In fact, I even give the players the microphone in this segment. Not the full segment, but for one part in particular. So we've got a lot to do in this final segment with the players. We've got a my football story. We've got the final word of Drew Doherty. But we are going to kick off that final segment as we do each and every week with Player Reporter. It's brought to you by Arctic, the official coolers and tumblers of the Houston Texans. Visit RTICcoolers.com. Arctic coolers overbuilt, not overpriced. Now, Player Reporter is known now as B Scar TV. And Brent Scarlett is getting more and more comfortable in his role as host. This week, it's 
a group project. Hmm. Brennan, take it away. We're back with another episode of B-Scar TV, and I have to say I am very excited about our next guest, one of my close friends, a brother you might say. I don't think blood could make us any closer, DJ. Thanks for coming on the show, man. I'm well. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good today. You good? If you had to do a group project, who in this locker room do you not want in your group? Dog nasty, man. You know, dog nasty. Stanford guy. Stanford guy as well, too, you know. B-Mac. I can't even understand when he make calls, so I don't want to. I don't want to sit and talk through stuff with B Matt. Carlos, Carlos Watkins. <laughs> that was a quick answer. He says he'll bring the snacks, and he doesn't bring any snacks. Okay, so who would you want to have in your group? I'm taking Will. I'm taking my boy Will. He went to Notre Dame. You know, that's a, that's a smart college. It's a guy that you you rely on him to run the right route. You know, he'll show up on time. You know, consistent on the field. I'm pretty sure he'll be consistent. Doing this group project, we got to work on. That's also going to be a swaggy group. Y'all going to show up swag. You got the shades. Will got, you know what Will got. Yeah, man, we might do a history on dreadlocks, you know. Woo. You, you're pretty smart. You take good initiative. You're one of those guys. You'll, you'll put us in a group text. Make sure we get it done. Justin Reed. Justin Reed. Jay Reed. Jay Reed. Smart, good. tough, dependable. Exactly. Um, Dylan. Dylan, Dylan Cole. Cole. This might be an easy answer. Who would you pick for a group project? Other than myself? <laughs> it's a group project, dude. Oh, okay. Uh, Justin Reed. If you could choose another person. Um, let's see. Who went to Stanford or Cal around here? Um, I'll go with Zach. <laughs> Zach who? Cunningham. This is ridiculous. You want me to go three? Yeah, pick a three. All right, BMAC. We're going to end on that. Uh, Dylan, I appreciate you coming on, brother. And we're moving. Fantastic stuff for Player Reporter, a.k.a. B-Scar TV, and it is brought to you by Arctic. Visit RTICcoolers.com. Arctic Coolers, overbuilt, not overpriced. That is some great stuff. Now, one of the guys that I would love to have on a group project is Peter Kalmbite. He is from Charlotte. He went to Stanford and he ended up in Houston. Now, Peter and I have a little bit of a connection, first of all, from Charlotte. He, my, I have a bunch of family that lives in Charlotte, but his uncle is a Brown, Univers- uh, Brown University football alum. In fact, I think he was a couple of years after, two, three years after I was there. May have been a freshman when I was a senior, I'm trying to remember, but his uncle. Went to Brown, and in fact, I saw his uncle uh, when we went up to play in Washington last year. So that's his. That's my connection to Peter. But Peter's a fantastic guy to have on this roster. Smart. He would be great to have in a group project. If you just put all the Stanford guys in a group project, that would be very, very interesting. Well, how about my football story this week with Peter Kellenbite of Charlotte, North Carolina? With the 214th pick in the NFL draft, the Houston Texans select Peter Kalambaye, linebacker out of Stanford. So I started playing football when I was 10. I was always a big kid, but I was always a chubby kid. Eighth grade, I kind of blossomed into an athlete. Well, in high school, that's really what made me who I am today. I was a freshman. I made the varsity football team. I was playing primarily defensive end at the time. We won the state championship and that state semifinal game. I caught an interception and that was kind of 
the beginning of me being a linebacker. Stanford was just beautiful. It was in California. I was really looking for a good mix of academics and athletics. And on top of that, it was a really good school. I was a straight-A student. I chose Stanford, and I, I, it was the best decision of my life. I got drafted. I was just eating Palau, watching the draft, you know, talking to my friends. Peter Conabai, um, we're getting ready to draft you here in the next few minutes. I was kind of just, like, relieved that it was over, that I knew where I was going. What a hit. Levels him. A clean hit. My teeth hurt. I'm just ready to play more on defense and keep being a dog on special teams, and that's that's what I want to do this year, and that's what you guys are going to see. That just gives you a little sneak peek behind the curtain, if you will, of what Peter Kambayi has done to get to where he's got. You know, it's interesting when they talk about Stanford. These guys talk about Stanford. I, I went to Ivy League University. I was very fortunate to have gone there. But I always, I've always been curious about places like Stanford, Northwestern, Rice. Now, Rice is obviously right here in Houston, so I didn't know a lot about Rice. And it was one that – it's funny because I never really considered staying in Houston or staying in Texas to go to college because I really wanted to play football, and I didn't feel like I was going to be able to play football at places like Stanford or Rice or Wake Forest. But I'm always intrigued by those places, um, especially Stanford. Being out on the West Coast, I have heard how beautiful it is. In fact – the young man that I coached many, many years ago, he was my quarterback my final year. He was a sophomore when I coached him, and I left his final two years. Well, he called me after uh, during his, the summer of his senior summer before his senior year. He's like, Coach, I just went out to Stanford. And I was like, whoa, yeah, he was awesome. The farm is so cool. And so I've always been envious of that. And Nathan Edwards, uh, who is just a superstar in our PR department, he is a huge Stanford fan because he's from – up in that neck of the woods. And I know when we practiced up there in 2016, uh, yeah, 2016, I missed my opportunity to go. I always wanted to go see it. So I know that was one of the things that you heard say, you heard Peter say, drew him out to the West Coast to play for Stanford. And look, you're playing for David Shaw. You're going to win championships. Great program. And obviously, we are selfish in Houston because we have Stanford grads. We have Justin Reed. We have... Brent Scarlett, we have Peter Calumbay, we've had others that have come through this building, uh, Johnson Batamosi, you know, guys that have come from Stanford have been valuable pieces for this team the last how many ever years. So good stuff there for my football story. Now, our final word with Drew Doherty this week is a guy that I know a lot of people did not think he was even going to make the roster in 2019. And when he started in, the o- in OTAs, and I saw him at the beginning of training camp, I was like, there is no way in Hades he is not going to make this roster. Absolutely without question, Darren Fells will make this roster. He has to. He has to. He is a true Y tight end. Tight ends were a little bit banged up even, but even when the tight ends weren't, Darren Fells was catching everything. There was one day at training camp where Darren kind of struggled. He had a couple of drops. That was it. Other than that, he was stellar. And he had to be because the tight end competition was steep. But Darren has a great background. Played professional basketball. And you saw that come to the forefront the other day when he scored the, his first touchdown against the Falcons on the seam route. Made a little, uh, a little shimmy to the outside. Went back inside the linebacker. And Sean hit him. Touchdown. He did the Euro step layup. That was kind of nice. And then his second touchdown, he went down the seam. And he just, 
he caught the ball above his head and just kind of held it there, you know, like he was kind of posting up on a guy. It was cool. He's got a great background because of that. He came back to play college football. He's been in the NFL, I think this is sixth or seventh year, I believe. But he's been fantastic. And I think with the Browns right now, I mean, we have Duke Johnson, Carlos Hyde, and Darren Fells, guys that were not even really key pieces in the Browns' offense. They've come here, and they've been massive pieces for this offense. And Darren Fells, with his leadership, the way he is, just how he managed, he is so fun to have around his locker room. He has kind of this, this elderly statesman wisdom. And he's not an old guy. I mean, he's not, but he just he doesn't play old, that's for sure. But he has this sage wisdom. And you saw it last year on the sideline with the Browns. He was very good with Baker Mayfield. I think he's been very good to have around this locker room. But he has been producing lately. Two touchdowns a game against the Falcons. Six catches uh, and a key one on the go-ahead drive uh, against the Chiefs. He's been all that and a bag of chips. Drew Doherty had the opportunity to catch up with Darren Fells. Here's the final word of Drew Doherty with D. Fells. Thanks a lot. I've got tight end Darren Fells with us. And Darren, you're leading the team in touchdown catches with Will Fuller. You've got three. That's your career best as well. You were one of 25 new faces on this roster who were not playing here last year. How come you've settled in so easily? I mean, it's just the atmosphere that we're in. Uh, Coach makes it a very family-oriented atmosphere with the team, and it's just one of those things when you bond with your teammates and you get along with them, it's easy to fit in. Looks like it's a pretty fun offense to be a part of. You're one of many weapons that's in this offense, and you guys have really spread the ball around. We saw it last weekend. We've seen it all season long. How accurate is that statement? This is a fun offense to play in. That's extremely accurate. I mean, Deshaun definitely he has got like most teams that you play with. They have like certain favorite targets here and there for certain favorite players in the offense. Deshaun definitely doesn't have a key favorite. Like he reads the offense, he plays to the offense, and if you're open, he's gonna find you. Yeah, you led the team in reception yardage last week, 69 yards. It's really a testament to what you just talked about, spreading the ball around to a lot of different guys. It was a lot like an extension of the running game, wasn't it? It, it, it definitely is the show um, that we have a pretty physical offense. Um, everybody, like you said, everybody's going to be involved, and when you get that chance, you need to make plays when it comes your way, and everybody out there showed that they can do something when they have the ball in their hands, and it, it's, it's fun when you have an offense that everybody gets along real well, and no one is very selfish in the mindset. Everybody's here with, with the team and to get to the, the win, actually. You joked with me in the offseason how – you're a left-left tackle or a right-right tackle because you're described as being a blocking tight end. Yeah. Tell me about how has the pass protection grown just since you've gotten here back in you know April, May? I'm going to stick with that where you, I'm still blocking tight end. But like you said, the offensive line has made some extreme growth uh, since I first got here. I think the biggest thing is just getting used to the offense and getting used to the guy right next to you. They've shown to me that they are really good guys, and they're here to protect Deshaun and keep him clean. Has it mainly just been continuity and, and chemistry because the talent was all, always there? It just needed to play together and get those reps in together? Oh, that, that's definitely the biggest thing when it comes to uh, the offense is chemistry. You have to be able to know what the guy next to you is going to do. Same thing when it comes to route running, knowing exactly where the guy is going to be when he needs to be there. And then same thing when you're running the ball. you got to trust that the guy in front of you is going to protect you and get you to the open gap. All right, you've got the most NFL experience in the tight end room with this crew, but you've never played against the Indianapolis Colts, amazingly. No. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. How nasty, from what you've seen, is this front seven that you guys are going against? They're a very talented group. They're very disciplined in what they're going to bring to us, and it's one of those things that we need to come out and be prepared for that. Everybody's in, in getting their film study and getting ready for this front seven, for sure. 
Yeah, what's it like playing a division opponent? You've done it many, many times in your career, yeah. but this kind of amps it up to another level, doesn't oh, it? it? It's a different beast out there when you come to a divisional game and rivals at that. It's one of those things that it's like a playoff game. You have to get out there. You got to get your pads a lot lower than you're used to. Got to bring your A game, play in and play out. It's one of those things where it's it's a fun. It's going to be a fun game, and it's also it's going to be a tough one. All right, you played international basketball professionally for about four years. You were in places like Finland, France, Belgium. Mexico, Argentina. What was the fiercest rivalry game you played overseas? Ooh, that's a tough one. I would probably say Mexico was actually pretty pretty intense. What was the team you were on and what was the team you were playing against? Why was it such an intense game? Um, I would say I was in Mexicali and we played against uh, Jalapa. And I don't know if it was a rivalry or if it was just more because they were defending champs and we were trying to make a name for ourselves out there that it it just peaked this crazy game and fans going crazy and a couple fights here and there, yeah. Oh, yeah? Were you involved? Yeah. No, I mean, no, I'm, I'm very soft-spoken, as you can tell, and it takes a lot to get me riled up. You're modest. They just probably didn't <laughs> want to mess with you because they knew you you know, you had a football future, right? Yeah, probably. Well, Darren Fells, best of luck on Sunday against the Colts. Thanks so much for the time. and Looking forward to seeing what you got left the rest of the season. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I had a chance to interview Darren as a player of the game after the Falcons game, and he was just so humble. He had a great game. I mean, tremendous game. Those two touchdowns. I mean, the last time a tight end had two touchdowns in a game, well, that actually happened a couple weeks prior with Jordan Akins, but the tight end's been killing it, just absolutely killing it. Would love to see either one or both get in the end zone this week, but I just was struck by his presence, his thoughtfulness, his humility. Darren Fells is a great guy to have around this locker room. There's no question. There are a lot of people to thank for tonight's show. Let's start with Mark Vandermeer, Bill O'Brien, DP Sidhu, Bernardrick McKinney. To everybody that participated in the player segment, B-Scar TV, Darren Fells, Drew Doherty, to Peter Kalambayi, to all of you for listening, thank you so very much. We will see you Sunday in Lucas Oil Stadium for the biggest game of the year. Why is it the biggest? Because it's the next one. Time to take on a Colts. Let's go. We'll see you on Sunday, everybody. And as always, go Texans.